0: happiness doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to work towards and it takes time and energy and effort. But even for people who don't find themselves naturally, easily happy, there are lots of things that you can do to feel better and you just have to take that first step in deciding that you
1: want to be. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 87 of the Neuro Experience Podcast. I'm Louisa Nicola and I am your host, Today, we have an expert on happiness in the building. Dr. Katherine Sanderson is here on the Neuro Experience podcast to talk to us about the art and science of being happy. What is happiness? It's amazing to think that we live in a society where we literally need to be trained on how to be happy. This area caught my interest when I was reading into the neuroscience of depression. So I went on to read many articles and literature and came across this book called The Positive Mind Shift, written by Catherine Sanderson. And I knew that she had to come onto the podcast. Catherine got her PhD from Princeton University. And in this episode, she's going to be talking to us about the science of happiness and how we are responsible every single day for making ourselves happy. Just like I say with motivation, you can't just wake up and have it. You have to generate it, which is just the same as happiness. Guys, you can't just expect to magically be happy. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the work to be happy and put in the work to stay away from the things that aren't making us happy. So as always, if you enjoy this episode, please screenshot it, pop it up in your Instagram story, or leave a review on Apple iTunes. Let's go. Catherine, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on here. I'm a huge fan of yours, your research, your book. So I'm so excited to get into the neuro experience with you. I love talking about happiness. So thanks so much for the invitation. Now, before we get into it, I need to ask you, how do you start your morning? I start my
0: morning with a lot of coffee. I'm pretty much addicted and I, I look forward to
1: it and I especially look forward to it in the winter, but all year I drink a lot of coffee. Our no, no morning routines? No, um, you've got no meditation practices, no visualization? The, the most effective thing for me I find is
0: walking. So what I do, I have two dogs, and what I try to do is after I have some coffee, sort of pull myself together, I like to get outside as long as the weather permits And I find this walking, just a physical act of walking, especially outside, always sort of gets me thinking more creatively and focused for the day.
1: I love that. Now, I'm a big fan of yours because you speak a lot about happiness and you are a professor of psychology. And in 2012, you were named one of the country's top 300 professors by the Princeton Review. So can you please give us a brief background on who you are, what you studied and everything else? Sure. So I
0: was an undergraduate at Stanford University and I was a graduate student at Princeton. And my research, sort of early in my career, focused on two different lines of research. I looked at close relationships. So, what makes us happy in our friendships, our dating relationships, our marriages, and then also health. So, what predicts people's safer sex behavior, healthy eating patterns, things like that. And so, I did these two very different, in theory, lines of research. And really, over the last, oh, about 15 years, there's been a growing move in psychology to look at how those two lines of research really intersect in terms of the field of positive psychology and our greater awareness of the mind-body connection and how
1: powerful it is. Mm. And what was the biggest findings that that you had? So for me, I think what's been most surprising
0: and also, frankly, personally relevant is that There are people in the world who have a predisposition towards happiness, who sort of come by it naturally, probably through their genes. Mm. But even if you don't naturally have it, and I do not naturally have it, there are things that we can do, behaviors, thoughts that we can actually practice and get better at. And so no matter where we start on the natural happiness continuum, there are things that we can all do to make us feel better.
1: I I'm so excited to get into it because I um I actually wanted to tell you that I, I I went and did this yoga session. It was a laughter yoga session. It was down um, near the water in Dumbo. We sat on the grass, and I actually didn't know too much about it. But we actually, you know, we sat there, we did yoga, and we had to force ourselves to laugh. And it got me thinking. Got me thinking a lot about what are we becoming in 2019, where we're doing things like that to get us to be happy again? Because I feel like we're running around, you know, trying to look for the best thing. You know, we look at social media. We we're trying to live this life that we don't know too much, you know, we compare ourselves to other people so that when we're running around trying to buy the right shoes, trying to get the right job, trying to get the right boyfriend, trying to get the right hair because we think that that's going to make us happy and I know you speak um, and you have a lot of information about, you know, your thoughts on social media and what's making us happy today and what's making us unhappy.
0: Yeah, that's such an important question. I'm so glad that you raised it. And your intuition is exactly right. That One of the challenges is that many people feel perfectly happy right up until they start comparing themselves to other people. And as you've just pointed out, on social media, everybody's life looks great. People look happy. They present the good, you know, the wonderful trip they've taken, you know, their professional success, et cetera. And so when we spend time on social
1: media, we start feeling worse about our own lives. Mm. Mm. And so what are you teaching out there? You're saying, okay, great. There's this thing called happiness and I've studied it on a (laughs) biological level and you have to go out there and, you know, because you can't just wake up. It's like motivation. You can't just wake up in the morning and uh, be motivated. You have to generate it. And that's a lot like happiness, right? Absolutely. And and I think one of the keys is that we can
0: do things that we think will make us happy. Oh, I'll be happy if my hair looks like this or if I get a raise or if I take this trip or, you know, this professional accomplishment happens. But the reality is happiness is in our thoughts and our behavior. And what's important about that is it means that we can actually do things to make ourselves feel happy. And it's frankly not spending more time on social media, or buying a perfect pair of shoes.
1: So what is it? What are some of the thoughts and behaviors um, that we should be doing to make ourselves happier? So I
0: want to be very clear that this is not a one-size-fits-all because sometimes, you (laughs) know, I'll say something and you know what I mean? And people will say like, well, no, that doesn't work for me. So (laughs) I want to give you a few different options because one of the keys really is that people need to find the thing that works for them. Mm. But some pretty consistent findings in the literature. One, spending time in nature. Uh, that could be exercising, but it could just be walking. It could be looking at a beautiful sunset while you have a glass of wine and look outside. Uh, anything that we can do to spend time in nature actually makes us feel better in terms of our psychological well-being. It makes us feel more creative and sort of stimulated at a cognitive and intellectual level. It also may even help us live longer. It's good for our health. So, one nature uh, two, giving to other people. And that could be anything. It could be donating to charity. It could be volunteering with an organization you care about. It could be paying for the person in line coffee right behind you, you know, a random act of kindness. It could be donating blood. So any of those things are really great ways to increase happiness. And, and then three, what research shows is there are actually pretty simple things that we all kind of take for granted that we know do make us happy. So um, getting enough sleep, exercising regularly, uh, for some people practicing religious and spiritual beliefs, those are all things that really help.
1: Do you ever go into gratitude because I've, um, I've been talking a lot and I know you said, you know, giving back to somebody else and appreciation, but when it comes to gratitude, I have that in my daily practice in the mornings, you know, I think of three things that I'm really grateful for and it immediately makes me happy. And I know there's a lot of science behind how the brain perceives gratitude. Do you think there's a, do you think there's a link between feeling happy and gratitude?
0: Absolutely. And I love that you do that everything first thing in the morning. Many people develop a regular practice. It could be first thing in the morning. It could be at night right before you go to bed. And, and then you have these three things that you're focusing on that remind you of what is good in your life right now. And the key thing about practicing gratitude is it has to be things that are good in your life right now, not things that will make me happy once I retire, win the lottery, you know, um, buy a house, you know, whatever, things that make you happy right now. It's also really important to express gratitude towards other people. So there's a wonderful study by a professor of psychology, Marty Seligman at Penn, and he talks about the value of writing a gratitude letter. So literally expressing to somebody else, what they've meant to you, how they have changed and shaped and influenced your life, and then traveling to that person, standing in front of them and reading it aloud.
1: Mm, I haven't done that, but I'm actually going to have to practice that because I'm so interested in like, actually, you know, when I interview people and interview um, professors such as yourself, I really want to delve into it. Like after I do the podcast and find out what it did for me so i'm gonna to have to update you on that um after i do it um please do please um, do i will i'll send you an email um yeah, in your most recent book it's called the positive shift mastering mindset to improve happiness health and longevity now you spend a lot of time discussing the benefits of being happy happy positive and optimistic so On that spectrum, what are some of the challenges that men and women face that are preventing them from being happy?
0: So I think one of the real challenges is that there are people who have a tendency to focus on the bad, um, who engage in something that we actually call in psychology rumination, in which you focus on what is bad in your life. So what is difficult, what is challenging, you know, things that have gone poorly, Instead of successes. So one of the challenges is that for people who are not naturally easy, genetically happy, they can really kind of get into a
1: negative thought pattern or spiral. And that of course does not make you happy. Mm simple simply said but here's the thing what i know is that when we focus on the negative aspects of any situation in our lives it's mainly because the brain wants a safe place for us to go to and a safe place is that uh-huh. dwelling face it's that place where we know that if you know if we dwell on this negative thing then we don't have to you know find something to make us happy or be positive so it's safe there and the, the problem is having all of that negativity, it gains momentum. And then people wonder why at 5 p.m., oh, I don't know why I'm so sad. I'm just just really sad. So <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> that's, thoughts. And that's why I'm like, you know, where did it stop? So do you think that when it comes to positivity and happiness, it's, it is hard because you've got to pick up on, oh, hey, that's a negative thought. I've got to stop it. Well, and, and that's one of the keys about actually
0: practising. So I look at it this way. Uh, there are people, many people uh, who ran a marathon and you don't run a marathon by starting to run a marathon. You run a marathon by continuing to practice and get better and better at running a little bit and then a little bit more, et cetera. And then eventually you've actually achieved at the highest level and you can make it through the marathon. And that's the way I look at the the way that we can change our thoughts in terms of, taking the negative thought patterns that we have and making them more positive. So yeah, initially we just get into this negative spiral, but if we start catching ourselves, we can actually get significantly better at stopping the negative thought patterns and replacing them with more positive adaptive thoughts.
1: What about really successful people? Have you ever looked at the correlation between really successful people and their you know and their levels of happiness
0: I have not and that is such an interesting question and I am going to do some research on that um and let's talk again sometime because that's a really important
1: question do you have an insight into what that would show do you have an insight I could kind of play it out either way because um, when I look at successful people and I read up on their stories, they all share one thing in common and that's a positive mindset. And I also, mm-hmm. myself, I find success even on a small scale, like daily successes when I go into the day with a positive attitude. And it's funny because I've been doing a lot of um, work and, and research around spirituality because I get asked mm-hmm. about so many times. And mm-hmm. I, when I practice it, I think, you know, when I'm happy and when I'm optimistic and when I'm positive, I must put out this energy to people, which you know obviously gets to them, and then you know there will be successes throughout the day or in business. And I think, wow, is there a correlation between you know wildly successful people and how they perceive the world? Because everyone at that level, I looked at Kanye West, I looked at, um, I looked at a lot of like CEOs, and they all say one thing: they maintain a, a positive and optimistic attitude.
0: But but here's the thing. I wonder if they came by it naturally, right? I wonder if they came by it naturally, but, you know, if they were genetically born that way and that allowed them to be successful, or I wonder if they developed the ability to do that over time. So some really interesting research that uh, that I talk about in my book has shown that people who have experienced between two to six negative adverse life events you know, things like getting divorced, having a miscarriage, getting fired, you know, having a major illness. So really, you know, serious things. They actually are happier than people who've never had any adversity at all because having that adversity gave them the sort of uh, resilience and practice and development of skills that let them be happy. So I also wonder if maybe people who are so successful have actually had some bad stuff happen to them and have gotten good at Reframing negatives and responding to challenges.
1: Well, this is why when you look at Oprah's story, you know, mm-hmm. they, how does somebody who's come from nice. ultimate, you know, stress, yes. and money? She was sexually abused at a very young age. Yes. You know, how did she come on to be? You know, live to be the you know greatest leader of all times? And it's like, okay, and she's been through that. Then you look at Jay Z's story. You know. Um, from living on the streets to hustling, to selling drugs, to, um, being in a gang, mm-hmm. he's wildly successful. And I, I, mm-hmm. I really read, and I don't want to put this out there and say anything, but I really read somebody who says, I woke up and, um, it was, I was just wildly successful. Even the people, <laughs> even, even, even the people who have been given, you know, a company by their parents, it's, they don't mm-hmm. make it to that level. And I think, is it because they haven't gone through the struggle yet? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really, really interesting because the reality is that for many people,
0: experiencing some adverse things gives you an opportunity to practice skills that you're going to need when other bad things happen. So you don't just give up and quit.
1: Mm. So, okay. So, in 2012, he's, let's move on to like the the mechanics of how to be happy. You know, uh, it's so funny. Do you think that around... 1990 do you think that there would have been any studies or even before that around how to be happy do you think that you know it's coming to <laughs> light now because got so many things happening in the world like you see what just happened in Sri Lanka and it's um it's like why are we committing all these crimes why are we blowing up churches why are, like it's just so interesting that we're now learning you know we've got people like you doctors who are actually out there teaching you how to be happy I think did this stuff happen back in 1990 No, no, not at all. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm now going to date
0: myself. But um, when I was in college in the late uh, 80s, I was in uh, graduate school in the early and mid 90s. And at that time, the study of psychology was totally focused on negatives, you know, so neuroses and phobias and depression and anxiety and no one was examining how to be happy. And I think this is such an important time for many reasons for us to have a renewed focus on let's understand not just the negative emotions, but what are the positive emotions and how can we do things in our lives to really cultivate them.
1: I've, um, I've been researching as well a lot into like corporate companies and I've been researching about you know what makes a high-performing culture and I don't know if you've done any work around this or what your thoughts are, but when it comes to corporate organizations, no matter, you know, how big or small, do you think that the happier employee produces better results? Absolutely. And
0: there's lots of data that, that shows that. And I think where you see that really playing out is lots of the Silicon Valley companies are going out of their way to make the workplace fun. You know, they're focused on, <laughs> you know, uh, free food and ping pong yeah. tables and, you know, all these perks. Um, And, and, you know, and also nature, you know, lots of companies, Amazon, you know, and Facebook, et cetera, uh, they're doing lots to provide green environments, you know, parks and trees and greenery, uh, et cetera. And and they're doing that because happy workers are more loyal, more productive, better at their jobs, they don't quit, et cetera. So absolutely, happiness and productivity go hand in hand.
1: Wow, yeah, because I can only imagine what um, if you walked into the workplace and you're in a sales team and you actually hate, you're having the worst day, I can only imagine what it would do for your KPIs. So. <laughs> right, that, that hardly seems like a route to success, huh? <laughs> now, in 2012, you gave a fantastic speech. I watched it time and time again and it was at, it was at, I don't know which university it was, but it was about the mind-body connection and that is everything that we talk about at NeuroAthletics. So we work directly with athletes, organizations, to build better mind-body connections. Um, So what are your views on, you know, how do our thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes directly influence our physiology and physical health?
0: Well, research is now showing more than ever the power of those connections. So we know that, I mean, to some extent we've all heard about that for years because that's the – Placebo effect, right? That if you give somebody who has a headache a you know a pill and tell them this is a headache remover, they will actually feel better, even if the pill has you know no actual medical qualities whatsoever. So the mind-body connection is very clear, and we see it in cases of people's health. We see it in recovery from surgery. We obviously see it in athletic performance. And this is something that we're just getting better and better at understanding the mechanisms of, and then hopefully to be able to translate that to really help people.
1: Mm. Well, I, I have this, you know, formula, if you will, and it's, you know, it goes, the thought that you have produces an emotion, the emotion produces the action and the action produces your reality. And I think a lot of the times when people get caught up in being unhappy or being negative or being mad it's because of their if you track back it's because of they had a thought okay and that thought made them a bit angry and then that angry led them to do a certain behavior and that certain behavior led them to be you know, where they are today. And I'm so interested in that pathway and really stopping it because instead of, you know, slapping a band on, instead of like going and producing an action and doing the wrong thing and then going, oh, damn it. It's how can we have a preventative way of not even getting there in the first place? And that's what, you know, that's what you go into and that's what you teach a lot about. It's about doing the daily rituals to make yourself happy.
0: Absolutely. And, and as you've just pointed out, It's a cycle. So in psychology, we actually call that self-fulfilling prophecy because it's basically like once you have a negative thought, a negative expectation, it changes how you feel, it changes how you behave, and in fact, you can create that negative reality. So for people who are trying to improve their lives psychologically, physically, being able to disrupt negative cycles is an essential part of experiencing better success in all domains.
1: So what if someone said, okay, Catherine, it's all well and good, but I drink wine at night to make myself happy.
0: So as I said, (laughs) it's it's not one size fits all, right? So so for some people, drinking wine may be a way to quell the negative thoughts right it may be a way to sort of get rid of the um intense anxiety now that crosses a line if it's i'm you know i'm drinking a bottle of wine alone you know every night or something but for different people different things really work some people say meditation is really helpful other people say i don't find that so helpful some people uh find going to church or temple or synagogue very helpful. Other people sort of say, that's not, you know, my theme. So I think it is actually really important for people to figure out two or three behaviors that they have experienced personally work for them and start by making sure you're practicing those behaviors regularly
1: you raise a really good point there. And you you say that it's about finding what makes you happy. And and I'm sure we've all been through this, but I remember when I was younger, I was always trying to fit in. And what makes me happy is I love, you know, I love the ocean. I love surfing. I love exercise. And I was hanging around, this is around 15, 16, even, you know, a bit um, later than that. I was hanging around a group of girls who were doing things that I didn't like. And I remember just trying to be with them and trying to fit in, but it wasn't making me happy. And I just I just could not understand why I couldn't fit in. And it was um, this big misconception, you know? And so I love that you said that. I love that you said it's not a one size fits all. And if we can all collectively focus on just ourselves, self-awareness, what makes us happy doing those things, then we're going to be better off.
0: Absolutely. And and I think it's really important to have that self-awareness because sometimes somebody will say, oh, well, you know, reading the newspaper or reading a novel really makes me feel good. You should try that. Yeah. And that's wonderful if that works for you. But if that doesn't work for you, it's not really helpful advice.
1: Mm. I wish we could... um. Uh, I wish you were around when I was around 14 years old. <laughs> I would have made some of the decisions that I did. Um, so as we wrap up, we're coming to the end. I am going to ask you um, the question that I ask everyone, and that is what's the one piece of advice that you can give us so we can um, change our lives?
0: So I think the most important thing for people to remember is that for me, happiness doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to work towards and it takes time and energy and effort. But even for people who don't find themselves naturally, easily happy, there are lots of things that you can do to feel better and you just have to take that first step and deciding that you want to be.
1: I love that. Catherine, if we want to know more, because I'm, I'm sure everyone will after they've listened to this, where can we find out more about you, some of your talks and your books? Sure. So I have a website, which is sandersonspeaking.com. And you
0: can go on that and and you can find out about me, uh, where I've talked. You can watch some videos of talks that I've given. Uh, You can buy my book and you can read more about me. So sandersonspeaking.com. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much, Catherine.